0: When machines and computers, profit motives and property rights are considered more important than people, the giant triplets of racism, extreme materialism and militarism are incapable of being conquered.
1: George Bush doesn't care about black people.
0: They have a black history month, but we don't have a white history month. Well, all we've ever been taught is white history. If it was not for the love and respect shown to me by black women, those right wing, ultra conservative, alt right haters, they would have me believe I'm too black. I'm too confrontational. I'm too tough. And I'm too disrespectful of them. But now, I know I'm simply a strong black
2: woman. Mm.
0: in a time where corporations are treated like people and people are treated like things. They promote legislation that attacks voting rights, the poor, LGBT citizens, the immigrant community, and civil rights that are lewd, mean spirited, and fundamentally contrary to what our democracy is supposed to be. About. <laughs> what is bad is not what they are doing what would be bad is for us not to fight
1: back hey ho let's go this is 102.3 whiv and you are listening to resistance radio my name is mark allen co-hosting with me today is the very very lovely uh, and welcome back to the radio uh leona elliott it's so nice to see your smiling face so good uh, to be back uh, welcome back to WHIV. I want to say thank you to AJ and to Bobby uh, and to uh, Miss Courtney for an amazing uh, episode of, uh, of Health as a Human Right. Thank you uh, to these uh, amazing, uh, not only queer activists, but particularly the trans activists in our community that are willing to uh, get up uh, and talk about uh, their stories so honestly and openly. And and, uh, and I, I just can't say how much I appreciate uh, the devotion that people put into WHIV to tell 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 stories like that so that we could all learn from. But uh, that being said, I have a feeling uh, Leon and I are going to be talking about, uh, let's see, we're going to talk about... The Dodgers. No, we're gonna talk about. Uh, yeah, you can move it around. Uh, we can talk about cruise ships. We talk about Italy. We talk, are we some way of getting around Venice to is you? Lovely this. Venice. Time year. <laughs> uh, yeah, today is gonna be coronavirus, uh, and uh, there's certainly a lot to talk about, and it's gonna be a, a pleasure to do so, especially to uh, get Leona's perspective on things. But before we do that. It's really amazing uh, to be able to have uh, somebody who is a good friend of the shows, somebody who comes in pretty regularly to talk about the amazing work, and that is Miss Melissa Tyler, who is a development director of the New Orleans Women and Children's Shelter. And uh, there is a uh, the New Orleans Women's and Children's Sh- Shelter is hosting its sixth annual "There's No Place Like Home" fundraiser and patron party on Thursday, March nineteenth, at the Cannery, uh, which is located at three eight zero three Toulouse Street in. New Orleans, and the patron party begins at six, with the main event starting at seven. Yes. So, Melissa, thank you so much uh, for being back. I, I I always love when you're on air, and I learned so much from you. And uh, and as I've told you many times, the work that you do uh, at the at the women's shelter is really inspirational. So maybe let's take a quick step back and tell us uh, about uh, about the work that you do do at the uh, <laughs> at the shelter.
0: Well, I I'm actually the development director, so I have the job of raising public awareness and fundraising for our mission, um, which is to help homeless women and children and families now um, achieve stability in their lives and really recover from the trauma of homelessness. So I don't work directly with our residents. I'm more of a friendly, hey, how you doing face. But, um, you know, the the program staff at the shelter do amazing work, and I'm just honored to be able to support them. Um, It is not an easy task But they handle it with a lot of grace and a lot of compassion, um, and they're pros at this, so...
1: Yeah, really. I mean, uh, the inception of it was in 2007, Mm -hmm. and y'all have helped out more than 2,500 homeless women and children transition from living on the streets to safe, affordable housing. And that's a point that I usually like to make with folks is that you really do help make that transition, and that transition, and I think once, um, either yourself or I may have said that there's like a 97% retention rate, or or once people make that transition, that transition really does stick.
0: It does, and it's... um, Thanks in large part to a post residency case management program that we have. So when someone is in shelter, they may be with us, you know, 45 to 60 days, but when they leave, they are still networked in, they still have access to all of the support and resources they had when they were in shelter, of course barring sleeping on our property but um we help them with everything finding jobs if they need to or finding better jobs becoming more gainfully employed um you know we help them find affordable housing which is no small feat in this community right now and we really support yeah, that's for yeah, sure it's, uh, it's, it's especially in new orleans right yeah <laughs> it's a, it's a huge challenge and we I'm have sure. a staff person who's Sole responsibility is to do house inspections and network with landlords and find, um, you know, secure and safe housing for our families that they can afford. It's a really big part of what we do because they have to have somewhere to go um, that they can feel comfortable bringing their children.
1: Right. And as development director, are Mm -hmm. you are you developmenting new new programs with within the within the, the shelter itself or?
0: Um, no, I just help fund the program. Okay. So but, you're looking
1: for, uh, yeah. yeah, I'm
0: always looking for support. And here's the thing. You never know where a conversation might lead sure. with someone. So we have a number of people who say, what can I do to help? And we start talking about the many ways that they can help us in our work. And, you know, they might say, Hey, I have this idea for fill in the blank. Sure. And, and it grows into a program, um, As long as it aligns with our mission and we have the capacity to make it happen, we certainly want to do that because we want to enrich our families' lives in a holistic way. Sure. Mm
1: -hmm. Sure. And then maybe just a quick overview of what homelessness looks like in 2020. What are some of the causes of homelessness? I mean, I I think as our society is moving to more uh, financial inequity, um, we're seeing more and more people that maybe in the past would not have found themselves to be homeless. Or if you kind of give us an idea what the modern homelessness picture looks like.
0: Sure. Well, first of all, homelessness is a poverty issue. Um, and, And interestingly enough, the Atlanta Fed just did a research. study on um, the gap that exists between people who are on public benefits and that climb to a sustainable wage and in between that gap in between some of them are losing benefits so in the short term it's not It actually doesn't benefit them to get off of public assistance. So that's something that's holding families back. Um, In our community, we see a lot of homelessness in terms of people, you know, sleeping under the bridge in in the tent city there. Um, Some of those people are employed, believe it or not. We have a lot of people who are suffering with mental health issues, substance abuse issues, um, but largely it's a poverty issue and lack of access to resources. And for us, what we see with our families, um, you know, there is one, the challenge of affordable childcare. You know, once you start to have two, three, four children, childcare is unbelievably expensive. Um, and, and in a lot of cases it can cost more than your rent. And so, um, again, you have to weigh, is it, is it better for my family to work just to pay childcare or not to work and actually be on, on public assistance? Because, You know, it's it's a choice between one or the other. And I think that's a terrible choice to have to make.
1: Can can I ask you, Liana, like as somebody who specializes in policy, how is it that policymakers find themselves in a bit of that, like, kind of a conundrum that that on the surface doesn't seem to make sense?
2: It's... I mean, it's government doing what government has been known to do, which is shooting itself in the foot in a lot of things. Um, it's the bureaucracy, right? And it's generally siloed interests that aren't mm-hmm. looking at it from a
1: point, siloed a point. interest. That's it, ding, ding, ding. It <laughs> is, but it's it's
2: a lack of understanding of the individual experience, mm-hmm. and it's a lack of empathy or you know, in theory, government is supposed to be sort of indifferent to anybody's, you know, specific circumstances, and it applies to everyone. And that's been the problem is it's like, you don't understand where the gaps are when that agency, you know, drops off and this agency is supposed to start with assistance, then what are you expecting people to do? They don't magically disappear when they drop off through roles and then reappear somewhere else, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I think that there is a shift now, I know, at least locally, it's, I can speak to definitely not federally, but locally. And I think a lot of cities are left to be the ones to pick up the pieces for um, for some of these, you know, just programs that just don't, they act indifferently to those kinds of things. They have to fill in the gaps.
1: Right. Yeah. Did, did I hear that Salt Lake City, in an effort to um, uh, solve their homelessness, or it may have been Salt Lake City or it may have been Denver, just went and literally just bought, mm-hmm. like, buildings and just housed like it was more it was it was it was more financially kind of stable rather than keeping people in the hospitals or in the er's or constantly looking for services they just went just right is that i mean was it salt lake city or denver i
0: I believe it was salt lake it was yeah okay that makes more sense yeah um you know i wish that the yeah. same thing can happen here. <laughs> um, you know, we we don't have a lot of land resources here right. between a lake and a river, and I think that just adds to the challenge for us. Um, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about our public transportation network and how as affordable housing moves further and further out from the city center where a lot of these service jobs are, you know, tourism is, is sort of the heart of our economy in a lot of ways um, in terms of, of unskilled labor, it really becomes a challenge to find affordable housing that is close enough that you can reasonably take public transportation to get to work every day. Um, So there are a lot of conversations being had. I know Gino Inc. is having a conversation about our transportation system. Um, I'm glad that the Atlanta Fed did that study because that's a a huge uh, step in the right direction, and they have a lot of pull. But we've been saying this, you know, for a long time that families – there are gaps and families get caught in those gaps and it's really difficult for them to get out of them. And so we're doing everything we can to empower families, to get to that sustainable living space as quickly as possible. You know, it's probably not going to happen in the two months that they're with us in shelter. Um, and again, that's why we have that post residency case management program, because we're going to continue to support them and push for them to, um, you know, seek higher wages so they can sustain their family.
2: Can I also uh, mm-hmm. put on to that there's um, there's a little bit of recognition, I think finally in the, in the service providers around homelessness that, Uh, Most people don't know this, but you have to be documented homeless for 12 months to qualify for HUD's programs for homelessness. Because they're all designed for chronic homelessness. HUD is the Housing housing Urban urban Development. development. Mm -hmm. And those are like, you know, subsidized units or something like that. That's what people tend to think of like, oh, you go into permanent supportive housing and whatever. But you have to be documented homeless for 12 months. And Mm -hmm. like... That's insane when you have, when you previously were a household and still are a unit, that you're asking me to survive a whole year, mm-hmm. right? When I really just need a rapid resolution. And so that's basically what there's a trend towards these like, okay, what do you need? Do you need to just like a mediation between you and your sister so that y'all can crash there again? Or do you need, you know, $200 to make up for this other thing and then you're fine? So it's, and it, we see that especially when you think about, a family that you would never ask a child to be like, well, you know, you look like you need help, but I think I'm going to make you wait a year until I know that I can really help you. Right. Yeah. So I think for, I mean, families are the, you know, most vulnerable.
0: Yeah. We, we definitely work to, um, minimize the effects of the wait times. Um, and just helping, you know, helping families navigate the system. I'm so glad you mentioned permanent supportive housing that is for people who cannot work. For whatever reason, and there are many, many reasons um, why people cannot work, even though they might look like to you and me that they are able bodied you know air quotes there for people who can 't see me um, but it's it is a it is a challenge, and so we are we're there you know with them every step of the way to help them navigate some very complex systems there's a lot of paperwork there are a lot of deadlines to me it 's just it can be overwhelming, especially when you already don't have stability in your home life. You don't have a place to stay. And then you tell someone, OK, you've got to go apply for this. And here's the application. And you need a letter from this person. And you need to go here. And it's just, you know, I couldn't imagine having to do it myself. Um, it's just a daunting task. Yeah, the it families. really is. Mm-hmm. And
1: and uh, and. Uh, before we uh, we break for Station ID, let me just ask real quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I would imagine that there's a, an emotional trauma that comes along with, oh. with this as yeah. well. And so this post-residency case management you know, it was another great reason why we should be raising funds for the New Orleans uh, women's and children's shelter because the the money there's, the, I haven't found that money tree that my daddy used to talk about <laughs> when he told me that money doesn't grow on trees. I always wish it did. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it, it, it's, it, it's for things like that, that, mm-hmm. that, that these entities exist. But can you maybe walk us through some of that trauma? I, mean, I imagine the trauma sure. that children feel with the, you know, instability of housing with the breaks in their routines mm-hmm. um, just you know, I mean,
0: you said a key word. Um, it's it's transition versus routine. Children thrive on routine. They thrive on knowing what is going to happen, what to expect from day to day. That's how they build trust. That's how they become confident adults and go out into the world and sort of walk fearlessly and, and achieve all that they can. Um, but when they're in a constant state of transition, it's really difficult for those children to build those bonds of trust. Um, they experience. Uh, you know, worse academic performance than their peers. They definitely uh, have trauma associated with homelessness, but the parents do too. Imagine if you will, that you have a child, you love this child, all you want is the best for your child and you can't provide the very basics. I'm talking a place to live, you know, somewhere to sleep and something to eat. That That is devastating to a parent. And so when they come to us, Um, We're there to be to be cheerleaders. A a huge part of our work is is empowerment. It is helping our families know that this is the beginning. This is this is where you start over. No matter what the past was, this is a new beginning for you. um, And we're going to help you. You're not alone. I think that is critical. Uh, There are a number of really great programs And, you know, people go through them. And I'm not just talking about homelessness programs. I'm talking about any program in social services where it's like, okay, we're going to help you. Now we've helped you go fly. And a lot of times people just aren't ready to fly yet. And you've got to be there to help them along the way. And so that's what we do. We don't just say, hey, you were in shelter. We helped you find a place to live. You can afford it. Great. Bye. That's not fair. Um, And you're setting up people to fail when you handle things that way. But we've all got to work together. It can't just be one agency. We have to sort of collectively take a, that approach that the support needs to be sustained.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. So if you're tuned in, you are listening to 102.3 WHIV. This is Resistance Radio uh, with me, uh, co hosting. Uh, my name is Mark Yandere. Co hosting for tonight is the uh, very lovely, and welcome back to WHIV uh, Radio. Uh, Co-host Leanna Elliott uh, Who used to have the 5 o'clock slot That I'm still holding on to Hoping that at one point she'll come back And take that 5 o'clock slot And hang out with me for the 6 o'clock slot Uh, And of course uh, The uh, voice that you've been hearing Talking to us about the amazing work she does With the New Orleans Women and Children's Shelter Is Melissa Tyler uh, Who is the development director Of the New Orleans Women and Children's Shelter And we're talking about uh, The fundraiser that they have coming up On uh, March uh, uh, 19th, it's, they are hosting their sixth annual, there's no place like home fundraiser and patron party. And that's going to be at the cannery with the patron party beginning at 6 p.m. and the main event uh, starting at uh, 7 p.m. More information uh, about the New Orleans Women's and Children's Shelter can be found at NOWCS.org. That's NOWCS, which stands for New Orleans Women's and Children's Shelter dot org. Uh, and you can find them on Facegram Facecram. <laughs> <laughs>
0: In all wow. the places. Okay, Boomer. So good. Okay, Gen X, sir. <laughs>
1: Facegram, uh, anyway, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at N O W C S, uh, shelter. So, uh, thank you, uh, Melissa. You're welcome to hang the hour with us. We're going to spend the rest of the hour probably just talking about all things, uh, coronavirus. Uh, you're, you're welcome to hang. Okay. Um, and, and, uh, and, and chat with us or whatever. So thank you. Um, uh, but thank you. And, and also please, as always, please to be mi casa y tu casa like <laughs> yep i like it here <laughs> <laughs> yay um, all right uh, coronavirus updates you want to start local and then go big or do you want to go big and come local or i
2: i mean why don't we start local and go big okay or i don't know let's like, start big let okay. me like you do your infectious disease thing first and then we can <laughs>
1: my yeah you like that my infectious disease thing huh <laughs> yeah um All right. Well, let's. uh, I mean, I think one of the websites that I've been going to has been one that's called uh, World, uh, the World Ometer.
2: Worldometer.
1: Worldometer. Yeah, I guess that's probably better. World world-o-meter doesn't yeah, uh, like doesn't thermometer <laughs> yeah world <world-o-meter. laughs> yeah world o yeah. um I can be sassy like that because I'm his wife <laughs> <laughs> um there are 114,000 cases uh, really it's 114,284 cases worldwide with deaths standing at about uh 4,009 and recovered is 62,841 which is good that means those recovered numbers uh, are going up but we are still seeing a uh, Fair amount of, of deaths uh, And uh, probably a couple of Notable things that kind of came out of the weekend I think was Particularly um uh, a couple things. One is <clears throat> China, um, and I'm going to say I'm going to assume that that I, I hear or I read that people are saying, well, you know, it's hard to get real accurate numbers from China, so there there the, there may be that. So, but assuming that China is is reporting numbers accurately, and I'm going to make the assumption that they are. So, assuming that China is reporting numbers uh, accurately, their number of new cases have fallen significantly, such that now South Korea is the country with the highest number of new cases. So China has the highest number of, of overall cases, and we refer to that as prevalence. That's the number you just go out and count the number of people. And, of course, a country as big as, as China, which is a billion people, so you're just going to have more people uh, sick. Um, where South Korea is, <coughs> excuse me, is, is finding new cases. Now that's largely due to the fact that South Korea is an amazing country and their healthcare system is pretty amazing. Uh, and here in the US, we've had something like, I think a total of 5,000 tests that were done. I think maybe 6,000 tests. South Korea tests 10,000 people a day right drive
2: through <laughs> testing <laughs> right they have drive
1: through testing they quite literally do so the the testing is so much more uh and uh and so a couple things that that i think that are unique um and i think that are worth maybe kind of finding a place to start the conversation is that when you look at um the who's uh report about what the case fatality rate for covid-19 is um they said it was 3.4% now the problem with that number is that it's Probably an overestimation. And the reason why it's an overestimation is that we just don't know the number of complete cases. So that's the number underneath the fraction. So you take the number of cases and you divide it by the total number of cases, but we don't have a good idea of what the total number of cases. Really are right. We just we just don't because in the U.S. we're only <laughs> testing 5,000 people total, right? right? But South Korea their their mortality rate uh, is 0.5 percent, and I'm going to make the argument that their mortality rate actually is probably the most accurate mortality rate. And assuming that human beings are human beings no matter where they are, that that 3.4 uh, uh, mortality rate that the WHO first. Announced versus the 1 to 2% mortality rate that we were kicking around before the WHO uh, introduced that 3.4% mortality rate, versus what's the mortality rate in the US? 5.7. So almost double the global. Now, the reason why that's so high, I know, (laughs) it is that way. But I think the reason why that's so high is because um, we're not testing. You're not getting the full scale of what the denominator denominator really is. So I'm going to make the argument that I think that the uh, mortality rate is probably closer to what South Korea is doing just because they're testing so many people. The other thing that is unique is that South Korea's test that they have has a very high sensitivity rate. Yeah. Um, in other words, uh, it will accurately describe or accurately um, detect. Uh, detect a true negative. We're,
2: right. So, do you know how long it takes for the turnaround for them to do their tests? Because I know that's been a, some, one of the concerns. Right. Here. That's been
1: an issue. Certainly that was the first case in Washington. It took like three or four days for the CDC to turn that case around. Or uh, I, I'm going to say it's a couple hours, but I don't know with 100%.
2: So I know there are a couple different types and I think that's also worth saying that, um, and there's different levels of testing. There's the sort of that initial screening test, which can maybe have a lower sort of sensitivity rate and, you know, but then as it gets more critical, it, you go up the chain of like of confirmation, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and we have, we were still in the United States, still sort of waiting on those confirmation kits that were, you know, going to the States. So those were then those have to still go to the CDC. So right. now there's I think this week they've been saying that the commercial tests are going to be more available, but they take a few days to turn around. And that's like so there's there's a lot of logistics and human behavior involved in this that um, until we have something that is widespread, robust, cal- you know, easy to do, very mm-hmm. accessible, free, yeah. private, et cetera, et cetera. And people know what to expect if something hap- if something does come up. That it's, you know, just exactly to Mark Allen's point, without a healthcare system that is fundamentally accessible and equitable, there's a lot of incentive to not engage in this. And that means that we have a lot of opportunity to get some people that are very vulnerable, very sick and could die. And I think it's the this is an absolute head in the sand moment for us nationally and I think around the world. You know the the weaknesses of our healthcare system are now like laid bare oh, for everybody oh, yeah. to see. Oh, like boy, which we of course have been talking about for a long time, but it's like okay, now let's <laughs> now let's actually just show you. You know, right. birthday suit style. This is literally what we're working with here. Right, so.
1: right, and and especially when you see the comments and the contradictory comments that are coming from our, our top governmental uh, officials, it's really quite. I, I've never seen a more epic bumbling. Fumbling approach, you know, and 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 God bless. And I'm an atheist, so I don't even know why I say God bless. <laughs> thank goodness, <laughs> thank goodness. Uh, and I'll say God bless. God bless whistleblowers, right? Like, you know, thank goodness that there are people that are in the that are in the American government or that work for U.S. Uh, governmental entities and are like no, that's not the way that that is. That's not how that went down. Let me tell you, you know, and the clear example I'm thinking about is how uh, the Trump administration, uh, the CDC asked that uh, elderly people not take, uh, not only not take cruises, but also to avoid flying if possible, non, non-essential, non non-critical flying. Because again, groups of people, you know, potentially ill, people who are flying are oftentimes flying from places all over the world. It's just, it's a smart public health recommendation mm-hmm. and, uh, and how, uh, uh, that was removed, uh, from some of the recommendations that came out of uh, vice president Pence's office.
2: So I will say this too, that there's, um, I, I'm sure most people sort of either understand this implicitly, but sometimes explicitly, sometimes satirically that what we're really managing is a spread of fear. We're not really managing a spread of a virus, right? Right. Like, yes, we are, of course. And we also are managing the spread of influenza and, you know, anything else that's a communicable disease. But we are all – what this really is about is, you know, the reason – why not test everybody? What is the problem with testing everybody? Well – We're going to all of a sudden see this huge jump in cases when widespread testing becomes available, right? Right. And that's going to be really scary for everybody, even though it means that, hey, y'all, this has just been around this whole time. You just are now kind of finding out about it, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a really different thing when you're talking about something that is very, very dangerous to a specific subset of the population, right? And navigating the um, communication of that has to be done with such sophistication and nuance. And... Of course that is not what our yeah. federal government <laughs> communications right. are known for right. and Twitter is not an appropriate place to you know nope. just berate the situation and not actually be helpful in dispelling any of the the true myths and that right. that further stoke the fear. So I think that's something to keep in mind too that every time that we hear any of these messages from your local government state or federal that there's always a fine line that they are walking between having people be aware of something, but not freak out and not panic and not overreact. Right. And that overcorrection can absolutely be more damaging than just the initial awareness at all. So yeah. that's worth just...
1: Yeah, you know, one of the things that, that we talked about over the weekend several times, and, and, and I think that this is something that that at least you and I have talked about a lot and certainly you know the radio station kind of developed as a result of thinking like this so as to get another voice of reason out on the air but how this is like the most obvious they are protecting capital before they're protecting people absolutely you know that they are not telling the truth so as to protect markets rather than protect people you know, and it's like without people, there are no markets anyway. But it, it is stunning that that politics, you know, and and I could, you know, and again, I I'm I you done
2: get all up on your soapbox on this one too, which is which is great. This is what this is for. But like,
1: well, either that or it's a pure L box.
2: Oh um, yeah, good luck finding any of those. They're all empty. The, the but that the idea is that uh, this oligarchy basically right doesn't care until it impacts them and when it was killing a whole bunch of people like oh well it's a trade partner right like there are things that there are outbreaks all the time all over the world but it was only when it starts impacting like europe right and all the white westerners that all of a sudden governments are taking action and there's interest and there's whatever and like that's also part of this insidious thing that's like well you know we could have restricted flights and done all this other stuff for some of these other things but You know, now you don't want to because there's no potential end in sight. And so that's a lot of money that's on the table. And now they're trying to figure out that cost-benefit analysis. And when you fundamentally discount an individual's life like that and put it into an equation... You know, you make decisions that are based not on the best interest of those individuals, but best interest of, like, how you set up that equation weights it differently, right? Sure.
1: And I imagine that the way you set it up can tell a lot about that person who set it up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? Oh, yeah. Just like Dr. King would say that a budget is basically a moral document, right? Yes. I mean, I imagine that the way that equation gets set up also would give you pretty profound insight into into people's uh, thinking.
0: Yep. Yeah, Absolutely. Show me the money. Yeah. Follow the money. Yeah. That's right, right? The, that's that's exactly right. Right. That's <laughs> exactly right. But the
2: thing too this like is this is like a really interesting time for this to happen, right? Like i yeah. yeah
1: I mean, this is this a lot. of course.
2: So one is you know we saw today what happened in the market, which you know is like some very like. A nebulous thing that exists somewhere else in my mind because I don't not invested in anything in right. the market, but like it's a thing that happened and everybody's like freaking out about it, right? right. So that's a thing that's going to. So s- do you explain impact. what it was? Um, no. I mean,
1: the market they they closed <laughs> they, the market. They closed the market. because I mean, it, it was crashing. So yeah. They had a close
0: hundred points.
1: Yeah, they had to, they had to close the market because it was crashing, yeah. it, which is to me again another superficial fix, right? right. I mean, like it. The you market's can't, crashing. You right. Can't the market's crashing. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it, you know, it's not a thing to begin with to begin with. Okay. But yes, you try to close it like it was going to do something. What well, you think right. tomorrow right. the virus is going to be like? It's, oh, like, it's well, like everybody the, like take a deep breath. Closed. Like
2: it's okay. Right. So, so yeah. So it is, a, it's a massively arguably and a massively overdue market correction. Mm-hmm. Right. So, okay. Fine. This is what it finally takes for this to start changing. Then you also have, um, you're just general low lying American level of like xenophobia, racism, and, you know, protecting your own personal interests above everything else. So that's like, great. That's ours also, you know, hitting some kind of a tipping point where we're like, you know what, this is really not sustainable for so many people. And we cannot stress this enough that this cannot stay this way. So now you're facing a national conversation about healthcare access about income disparity, about right to, what does it mean to have a job and to be employed and to have benefits? And, you know, do you trust the, the quote unquote, the system to be there for you and to protect you or not? And it ends up kind of being like a referendum on those things, like how you react to it. Do you freak out and panic and protect your family and everyone else is like, can go, you know, whatever, I don't care. Or are you like, okay, we got to figure out who we need to like, make sure has food and water, like in taking care of, people both on an individual like neighbor level and all the way up to like internationally right yeah so that on top of all of that we're we're looking at elections
1: right so and that's so yeah which
2: involve a lot of people going to the same place and touching the same thing Uh, yes I'm worried about well
1: I mean what about I mean what about the option of voting with our phones isn't that a uh, oh (laughs) well uh, uh, yes Well, and If you're tuned in, you are listening to 102.3 WHIV. This is Resistance Radio. I am your host, Mark Allendary. Co-host with me today uh, is uh, Liana Elliott. Welcome back to WHIV. And with us also uh, is Miss Melissa Tyler, who is a Developmental Director for the New Orleans Women's and Children's Shelter. They are having a, a fundraiser on March 19th at the Cannery. You can find more information about that at NOWCS.ORG. Um, So I see, so there's two things that I see here because I really do want to broaden this conversation out a little bit more and then we'll kind of start. You know, we'll go local um, as we start wrapping up the show and focusing on like practical things that people can do. But I see two two different outcomes, um, and I, I'm this is just me kind of riffing. But I see one outcome in which people start to become so significantly affected. Um, and what if and this is the the me thinking? What if in a beautiful society the world wakes up like Liana was saying, and people realize, oh, we need to be the good of the people. We can't be this rugged individualism that we've all learned in the, I'm not paying for his school or I am not, I'm not putting money into somebody else's insurance company, just, you know, or whatever. And what if people are become so burdened that they realized that, that Medicare for all is like the way to go and then that perhaps sways people into you know something like a Bernie Sanders vote versus what happens if people become uh, uh, what happens if society breaks down so much that people are quarantined all over the place including police, traffic cops and what happens if society then descends into a sense of lawlessness Mm -hmm. um, in which you know crime uh, or uh, you know you have just uh, people are afraid to go out into the streets because there's no one literally policing the streets yeah. uh, made worse by the way that they can stroke or stoke uh the fires and then you know you have a president trump who comes out and says only i can save you uh and 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 so right i see it super dystopian right i mean i see it going I mean, totally. in two different ways there's a it, reason yeah. why like yeah. horror
2: movies start like this right and,
0: and i think anybody who was here right during the aftermath of hurricane could, katrina yeah. has a very real understanding of what that could look like right. mm-hmm. it is terrifying i mean it's a it's a terrifying prospect um at the shelter we <laughs> we're like wash hands come right. to your elbow but right. you know at the at the base level i think we can all agree the people who are at you know the lowest rung of the socioeconomic ladder are going to suffer the most from right. this so yes
2: 100% yes and there, so i think that, yes, that there is what you're talking about in that kind of scenario, though, typically happens when a acute event happened, right? right. A hurricane came through, right. right? Yeah. What I see is a slow creep. Mm-hmm. And that's almost worse because we're really good at ignoring incrementalism, right?
0: Yep. And
2: I'm really worried about what happens when schools start closing and that sole hot meal that that kid could be getting that... That's hot lunch is the only real meal that they're getting that day. They don't have access to that anymore. We were talking before about the, the need for routine, yeah. right? When kids break routine or when, you know, kids' schools close, but mom can't stay home. She's still got to go to work, right? Yep. That what happens then? And when you start, like we were saying before, when you start actually living through that daily reality of like, well, remember after Katrina, like there was a way that we could like have a few months to like catch up on our mortgages and rent and whatever. Like, what's the likelihood of that happening? Well, it really depends on what kind of work you do. Right. Right. And right. that's just going to further drive this wedge into like, you either have the resources to weather this. You either have a skill set that is basically digital Or you are in service industry, you are living hand to mouth and like no good comes from that unless it's like full on hard reset in my my world. Right. Like.
0: Yeah, I think (laughs) I think we all need to take this opportunity because this is an opportunity. Right. If you know, if you don't want to be pessimistic about it, this is our chance to sit up and really look at, you know, Healthcare for everybody to look at sick leave for people who are employed to to take the opportunity to embrace doing what's best for everyone instead of just what's best for the people at the top. Right. And I think this also scares them because they realize they're not untouchable. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the people who are at the top, they are seniors, you know? right. yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, they And I know they've got to be concerned. I mean, but productivity is slowing down across the board, you know, just with the canceling of South by Southwest. Right. That's going to affect a lot of people. And now the venues there are considering having the bands come anyway and have performances anyway. But it's going to trickle down. It's going to affect the restaurants. It's going to affect everyone who's in transportation, like people who, whose businesses make it based on that surge of business for those couple weeks. And that, that is going to hopefully, I hope it will jolt people
2: so it's, it's when you rely it's like i'm um, like monocropping right like mm. that's like if you only rely on one thing for all of, you have to diversify yeah and i've been talking mark Allen and i've been talking about this for a long time that like what really scares me about the tourism not necessarily the growth of the tourism industry but the lack of growth in other sectors mm. in new orleans that doesn't counterbalance that creates you know a, this this vacuum of of that diversity of industry that now yeah. we're so reliant and that I believe that there's a like point of no return where at some point a tourism industry grows so big and is not checked that it cannibalizes itself Mm. and that it becomes like you become the, you know, the, the stereotypical, the ersatz version of what you once were. If you don't know how to protect what made it amazing in the first place. And And this is exactly what I'm so worried about is that who is going to lose at the bottom of the food chain, right? It's people that depend on tips For, you know, and they definitely don't have sick leave and they definitely don't have the flexibility to stay home with a kid when, you know, the school closes. Right.
1: So how do we, I mean, how do we do something about that? I mean, are there, does the state kick in or or what are some of the regulatory uh, iterations of something like that? How do we protect the most vulnerable in our communities?
2: It's a really good question. I really wish I had an immediate answer. I don't. I think that is something that every city and county and state and parish and everybody is trying to figure out across the country because I will say this, that we are unique in Louisiana. Because always, right? Because Louisiana <laughs> is just whatever. It's Louisiana. Because we have parishes so. and counties. We have, right, civil... Co- so <laughs> in Louisiana, all labor and employment relate basically is a contract. It's considered right. a private contract between two private entities. And that means that the city... Has no business sticking its nose into anything that has relation that's related to labor or labor laws. This is very frustrating for us and for a lot of people in the community. That, us, us being the city, us being the us being right. policymakers, us right. being the people that are working on the inside every day to try to do everything that we possibly can—from conversations to you know working groups to legislation. Right. Or whatever. But just
1: to be clear, today Liana Elliott is representing uh, Liana Elliott, and yes. and, and personal uh, views personal personal views only. only.
2: Um, that there's there's only there's literally only so much we can do and I know that that's something that like we hear a lot and it's like okay but you actually can do more and people have tried it throughout the years and have gotten slapped down with with rulings with court rulings that make it very clear that the city has no jurisdiction in
1: this okay so that being said so that's a big hard no so what what now how does somebody who is a service uh, industry worker what do they do when they're being told stay home uh, when uh, you know this is an interesting conversation to have with you here Melissa Tyler because you're going to see the end you're going to see the end results of some of this stuff right somebody's told to stay home if they're sick they don't they go to work or what happens if they have a child at home or what if they do stay at home they lose their job i mean it's you miss one shift or two you know you can't get to a doctors and and you know yeah, how and, do you
2: get a doctors right though? and then because we also
1: it, as a doctors right. office if you're sick and you're like cool don't come to the doctor's office <laughs> yeah. like right like there's other people there like you right. know don't come to the doctor's office like right. don't like that's cool like if you need to be seen but if you just have the sniffles and you have a fever and you have a headache and you stay don't feel, just stay home like yeah. and kind of do a self quarantine but somebody's going to be self for 14 days they're not going to have a job and they're yeah. not going to have a home
0: I don't know anyone who has sick leave 14 days of sick leave no right yeah. I, don't know, I don't know I don't know anybody. anyone right um, at in I, any industry Yeah. Or I barely
2: even know people that have sick leave, let alone like a balance of sick leave. Right. Like, right. So, you know, or you can do leave without pay. Really? Can I, can I really do leave without pay? Like, you know, what is that we're actually asking people to do? That's why I was saying that just kind of exacerbates a digital divide. And that's what really is also starting to really concern me. And I think that there is a, especially for service industry where it is very close contact Mm -hmm. with things that people put in their mouth, right? Like mm-hmm. forks and spoons and glasses and that kind of a thing. Food. Food, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> that that are pre- That's
1: prepared. <laughs> this
2: is very, this is like the number, I, to me, this seems like the number one obvious place where like a lot of people could be impacted all at once. If you have one server, one, you know, prep cook that is like maybe even asymptomatic and doesn't even know that they're supposed yeah. to be staying home. And they're just at work, you know, or the weather changed and I got the sniffles. And I'm feeling a little weird, but it's just the weather or like whatever, right? That you don't even know. And it's like it's this opportunity for something to really spread. And the fear of that is like somehow both needs to be both empowering and also like, I don't know, inspiring action. Right. Right. That. And I don't, I don't have an answer for like how this works. Like, you know, the protesters today that demanding, you know, sick leave at hospitality. Yeah. Super duper 100% behind that. And
1: job guarantee. Right. You know, and all of the above.
2: And it's not, I mean, yes, you should have that every single day of the year. You especially need to have that in a public health situation.
1: Right. right, and and our society is just not built for that. I mean, our our um, our predatory capitalism makes it so that r- people's rights, especially at the bottom of the socioeconomic uh, rung, I, you are more vulnerable. The, the the least amount of rights that you have. So,
2: and yet they're the ones directly touching your yeah. No, it's
1: it's really it's insidious. Yeah, and, 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 and
0: cleaning your hotel rooms, right? And, and you know, and so everyone all the conversations I've had been a part of, they say, you know, cruise ships are so diligent about sanitizing and cleaning, because if a cruise ship goes down, they lose a lot of money when they have to dock and they're quarantined and people can't leave. And by contrast, hotels, that's not the same. Mm -hmm. People come and go, people come and go, people come and go, and they can just book the next room for the next stay. Um, And, you know, the people who are cleaning our hotel rooms, the people who are cleaning our hospitals, like, those people are not well-paid, um, limited sick leave, and they're touching everything. They're touching everything, and we're relying on them to make it clean. That is what concerns me. Yes.
1: Uh, if you're tuned in, you are listening to 102.3 WHIVLPFM in New Orleans. Uh, we are community radio dedicated to human rights and social justice. Uh, my name is Mark Allendary. With me uh, is uh, co-hosting tonight is Liana Elliott. Uh, thank you and welcome back to the radio, Liana. Uh, also with us is uh, the uh, ever lovely uh, and uh, very uh, uh, somebody who inspires me greatly is Miss Melissa Tyler, who is the developmental director for the New Orleans Women and Children's Shelter. More information about them can be found at n-o-w-c- NOWCS. Org. They, Melissa is here to talk to us about a fundraiser that they're having at the cannery on March nineteenth. And again, more information can be found at n o w c s. So, a couple things. We have fifty about fifteen minutes left. So, a couple things. I know it goes fast, doesn't it? (laughs) 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 Melissa just turned around. She was like, "What?" So, I want to talk about quickly about how epidemics actually change the course of history. And the one example that I always use is the 1918 flu. And the 1918 flu killed upwards to, it depends on what numbers you look at, Um, some people say 50 million people, I go with the 100 million people uh, estimate. Uh, So there was a flu, the globe was a lot smaller back then, I think there, I think it wasn't even a billion people at that point. Mm -hmm. No, it couldn't have been 10%, it was probably maybe a little bit more than a billion people. But, I mean, it wiped out 100 million people. But here's the the, the effect that that flu had. So this is, a, you know, I recommend a, a book called Guns, Germs, and Steel uh, for people who are interested in this stuff that really kind of helps show how epidemics actually can change the course of history, and which is what the conversation that Leon and I have been having for the past couple weeks, actually, about how this is a, approaching a election cycle uh, and how people can really influenced one way or the other if, if we descend into reckless lawlessness Trump may stand up and say I'm the only one that can save you and then boom we have four more years of Trump and a couple new Supreme Court justices um, or you know people get super ill and are start getting bills all over the place and they're like F this I want I want Medicare for all and you know right. you could see a path to Senator Sanders being uh, whisked uh, uh, into office uh, and I just say for a second just dream with me
2: <laughs> with proof of a
1: vision the uh, uh, the uh, comments that are said here belong to myself only, Mark calendar do not belong to WHIV, certainly the New Orleans Women and Children's Shelter, the City of New Orleans, or the Board of Directors of WHIV. Uh, the political comments are mine and mine only. So here's how... the Same. Same. <laughs> Same. In 1918, the influenza virus uh, uh, completely decimated the soldiers that were fighting World War I. They actually had to end, they actually had to stop the war. They didn't stop the war because it was like there was one victor over the other. They just ran out of soldiers because they all died, right? And so they actually signed the Treaty of Versailles Later. Right, so it wasn't until later that the actual treaty was signed. I mean, think about it. We, usually, the treaties get signed and people stop fighting, right? So it wasn't until later. So they, uh, the soldiers came back uh, from uh, World War One, uh, fighting in Europe mostly, uh, and wherever they came back to. That was another way that the virus was actually transmitting. So mm. there was three waves of the virus in early 1918, in the middle of 1918, and then again in 1919. So one of the people who actually got it in 1919 was um, uh, uh, really an odious person. He was a president of the United States. His name was Woodrow Wilson. He was a very, very odious person for many, many reasons. But one of the things that was happening was that um, he was in Europe – uh, along with um, the German premier, or the German premier, the Italian prime minister, the uh, uh, French prime minister, and the English uh, prime minister, and what they were trying to do was setting up some guidelines to avoid having another kind of world war. Two, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so, um, German and, Germany and Italy were on one side, and France and the UK were on the other, and the France and the UK were really pu- trying to punish the German and Italian behaviors for their fascistic, fasci- fascistic behaviors, uh, and how horrible that they treated, you know, they all went to war to one another. And again, this odious, you know, President Woodrow Wilson, um, was, uh, um, and the reason why I call him odious, just to let everybody know, is that he played Birth of a Nation proudly at, at the White House. And just to give you an idea of what a horrible human being he is, right? So um, this odious person was actually in the middle, and he was actually trying to moderate France and, 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 the, and Britain's overreacting behavior so that the, the new terms of how Europe was going to develop, that there was going to give some economic stability to Germany and, and Italy. And then what happened? Um, Woodrow Wilson became sick with influenza and he was gone for two weeks with influenza and while he was gone that removed that, that there were, a power vacuum was started amongst those dynamics and, uh, and, and the UK and um, France really did create A very, very austere program that Italy and Germany uh, were subject to. And from that, there were a lot of people who believe that this is where uh, this, you know, young Austrian. You know, otherwise not particularly well liked, a, a guy <laughs> named Adolf Hitler was able to rise through the ranks and take advantage of of, of the frustration from the austerity that was initially developed uh, by Britain and and France. And had Woodrow Wilson not gotten sick with uh, with the flu, uh, that we may have never seen a World War II. So mm-hmm. thoughts.
2: I mean, whoa, like, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, this is, that's quite a claim. Like, I mean, I'm sure you've right?
1: heard, I've told you that story before, right?
2: Yeah, I'm, yes, but it's just, it's, I love the butterfly effect thought experiments I too. To say that. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> I am
1: not the only one who, who, who says that, but uh, as ID people that.
2: Well, I think it's, okay, so epidemics do really interesting things to society, right? Which is your sort of point. And that was kind of the point I was making too, which is it pressure tests the system. Yeah. And whenever the, and any disaster truly does, right? Katrina and whatever, but there's something about the fact that a, you know, interpersonal community, like a disease that is between people that is dependent on people and behavior of people is like uh, essentially becomes a reflection of who we are, right? Like, are we a, a, are we a people that are like, oh, for the good of the people, I'm gonna take this action and I'm gonna protect everyone and I'm gonna stay right. home and whatever and blah, blah. Or are we like, let's go buy all the cleaning products and sell them at like a massive markup, like on the street corner, right? And then this sort of like, well, who does have access to healthcare? Who knows that they can go and get this? Who's going to be sitting in a waiting room for three hours infecting yeah. everybody? And who's going to go straight into a private room? Like it becomes a, ref- a mirror back to your, of yourself. And when you think about how much we already don't take care of our people on a daily basis, which, yes, exactly speaks to your work, Melissa, but like, this is this is truly a stress test and I'm it it's somewhat fascinating to to think about like watching this as a like who are we really right, right?
0: This will tell. Yes. We're about to find out. We, we, are, are we, out. we are going yeah. to find
1: out. So a couple of things we have about uh, a, little, a little bit more than five minutes. So a couple of things I just wanted to kind of kind of put out there. So we had our first case in, in Louisiana. Uh, this morning when Leanna and I were sitting uh, at our kitchen table drinking coffee, it was clear that it was not a matter of if, it was a matter of when. And then that when ended up being the within when, a couple when hours. Is now. Yeah, yeah, when right. is now. Um, I... My, my phone, I think today we lurched forward significantly. Um, as a local infectious diseases doctor my phone was ringing off the hook. Uh, In fact I came in here, like this whole this last two hours got got me a bit more energized but like if you saw me at like five I was like woof, you know, like I was I was beat. I mean like as it's it's a lot of people are starting to really wake up and there are a couple things I just want to kind of uh, like state and then just a couple of recommendations I think for 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 people to recognize. One is I be prepared for disruptions of your life okay yeah. disruptions in your life will will happen there's no there's no question about that um certainly the the south by southwest i anticipate that we're going to see french quarter fest or or we're going to see jazz fest because what happens if a musician gets sick right. right you know what happens if a musician's child gets sick and they are i mean you know i think that we're going to see significant disruptions of life and we just need to understand that we need to be okay with that mm-hmm. right and this goes back to liana's you know um theme that she's been talking about tonight night is that we need to think together as a community and not as as individuals. Um, I think probably uh, a couple things that we need to recognize is that there is going to be some, not only are there going to be people who are going to die, um, so we just need to be ready for that. Loved ones are going to get sick. We just need to realize um, that people will be sick, um, but also there will be a financial downturn, and I think that people need to recognize that is real. That is really real because if restaurants start closing, um i mean think just think about the trickle effect of of again like you were saying the butterfly effect you can see how many different different places that's going to touch we have schools at columbia university shut down stanford uh shut down uh as well they're doing classes by uh, through technology which is great uh, unless uh,
2: you were a physical worker on the campus doing and, and, and and like a right so um, i'm just but like for real though right like right.
1: Uh, and so a couple more things I just want to say and then I'll, I'll give you guys the last word here um, be sure to wash your hand after you just touched your nose I just red okay <laughs> Um. <laughs> yeah, a couple more things one is these are the recommendations that I think are important for I'm going to do three recommendations that I think are the most important one is I think that everybody needs to go and buy a thermometer buy an oral thermometer and let's use a common definition of a fever as 100.4 or 38 degrees two I think that everybody needs to practice the best hand hygiene they've ever practiced before ever in their lives that means try not to shake hands uh, and, and elbow bumping is, is preferred over fist bumping, but in order, elbow bumping, fist bumping, and then way down at the bottom is, is handshaking. But in the end, really uh, soap and water for 20 seconds uh, or uh, hand sanitizers that have 60 to 90% uh, alcohol content. And then the third piece of advice uh, that I'm going to give is uh, go to the pharmacy and buy medications that are going to help you feel better should you be sick. So do you like naproxen or leave when you're sick so that it helps reduce fevers and body aches? Go ahead and stock up on that. Do you? Uh, I would definitely definitely stock up on cough medicine. Yeah. So whatever cough medicine of choice that you like, because once you start coughing and you don't break that cycle of coughing, you will continue to cough. So please get an all cough medicine. I, I, I think that, uh, uh, suppressants are better than expectorants. So suppressant suppresses your cough and expectorant for some reason tries to make you, cough, whatever, get the cough, <laughs> get the cough suppressants, uh, buy, uh, Tylenol and ibuprofen or, or naproxen, whatever for fever reducers, um, buy and throat spray. You're
2: not going to get antibiotics.
1: No antibiotics. Th- that, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you're welcome. Antibiotics do nothing for viruses. So with that being said, those are the top three recommendations I make.
2: Okay. So the other thing is um those are like things from doctors, right? Let me say it also in like in English. Well Okay. So soap and water, right? Twenty seconds is a really long time. Everybody sort of knows the happy birthday or whatever. There's yes. a there's a Several articles circulating with different suggestions of other local songs that you can sing in your head as you like. Go what? Through. Like what? So, like, let like, me find out. Is it yes. great? You sing it twice, oh, really? and it's twenty seconds. I personally have been using TLC. No, I cannot. Come, come on, you, let me find out. It, it should you be your outro it. song. So why don't you go ahead and get that queued up? But I personally have been using TLC Scrubs because I think that's hilarious. Also, I'm like scrubbing my hands, being like, I don't want this. Yeah. Right? And it's just like anyone. That oh, is it there is, a
1: scrub in that? I don't want yeah oh my god okay i grew up a punk rocker i grew up a punk rocker we have a minute and a half
2: um but these are things that are not just like yes you should be doing this all the time but there is this is literally something you can do to protect the people around you um and oh my god you touch your face so much more than you think you do yes and keep hand sanitizer on you it's better than nothing washing hands is the best but um be cognizant use elbows for elevator buttons all those kinds of things and um Uh, No, I was going to
0: say something. I forgot you want to do last word. Um, I would just say, because we are a women and children shelter. There are lots of kids there. Um, If you have children, I would strongly suggest that you, if you've never been a person to like nag your children, this is the time. Make sure when they go to school in the morning, you tell them you love them. And then you tell them, make sure to wash your hands, especially before lunch, be sure to wash your hands. Don't forget to wash your hands. Before mm-hmm. dinner, did you wash your hands? Make it a game. Make it a game. Do whatever yeah. you have to do because they will forget. Yep. Yeah, exactly.
1: Let me find out that you washed your hands. Let me find out to steal rock and flip
0: phones. <laughs> let me find out the thing they mean <laughs> much. Are we scrubbing own. over here? Let me find
1: out that Gucci purse not real. So, so you it's
2: verse twice. It's 20 seconds.
1: Thank you so much, I'm Melissa Tyler, uh, uh, Developmental uh, uh, Director of the New Orleans uh, Women uh, and Children Shelter. More information, N-O-W-C-S. Uh, they have a fundraiser coming up on March nineteenth. Leon Elliott, thank you. Welcome back to WHIV. It's nice to see your smiling face, as always. Let me find
0: out booty underneath.